The scripture reading this morning will be from John 21, 15 through 17. I'll be reading from the ESV version. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Oops. Sorry, I just lost my spot. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I want to begin this morning by reminding you that tonight we will uh, begin a new series of sermons done by the four, our four different ministers here. Uh, a series called Simplify, and we encourage you to be back with us. It will not be a roundtable discussion format. Instead, it will be a series of sermons in, in, in a traditional worship format. So we encourage you to join us for that. We'll be uh, doing that series over the next four weeks. And tonight, uh, it, we are honored because it will be the debut English sermon of Mingu Cheng, who will be preaching this evening. I've got to point him out back there in his, his little booth and embarrass him a little bit. <laughs> but I encourage you to come back, and Mingu has preached in English elsewhere, but this will be the first time he'll have the opportunity to do so here at Buford, and, and we're looking forward to that tonight. Of course, today is Valentine's Day, and because it is Valentine's Day, whether or not we intend for our minds to contemplate the subject of love, they do. You know, on June 25th, 1967, over 400 million people in 25 countries worldwide watched the first live international satellite television production which featured the Beatles' debut performance of a song called All You Need Is Love. That song kind of fascinates me. It was a successful song. I believe it reached number one on the the music charts, I believe it sold quite well as a single. But it contains very simplistic lyrics. In fact, if you were to just pull up the lyrics of the song, All You Need Is Love, you would find that phrase, or the phrase, love is all you need, repeated up to 50 times in a period of 3 minutes and 57 seconds. 50 times that phrase is sung in just under four minutes. And the interesting thing to me about that song is how closely that one repeated line aligns with the teaching of Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to profess that the Beatles were uh, stellar Christians and theological geniuses or anything like that. I'm just making the point that when we look at the teaching of Jesus— 
he did kind of say, love is all you need. Think to the greatest command. In Mark chapter 12, verses uh, 28 through 31, you have Jesus approached by a scribe who asks this very simple yet complex question at the same time. He said, which commandment is the most important of all? He's referring to Mosaic law, and, and he's asking Jesus, when you look at the whole of Mosaic law, which commandment is the most important for me to keep? And Jesus responded not by appealing to one command, but actually appealing to two. He references a section of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, as well as Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. And this is what he said. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So in the teaching of Jesus, all you need is love stands out because as Matthew's account of this same story says in Matthew 22 and verse 40, on these two commandments, these two love commandments, depend all the law and the prophets. With that emphasis of love in mind, after hearing Jesus tell us that the most important command is love, after hearing Jesus tell us that the whole law depends on love, we turn our attention to one of the last events in his life prior to his ascension. It's a three-verse conversation that takes place between him and Peter on the banks of the Sea of Galilee one morning after yet another miraculous catch of fish. And this conversation centers around the subject of love. And it's going to remind us that going and doing is a direct outworking of our love for Jesus and our love for others. You see, when we look at these three verses of conversation, what we ultimately see is that Jesus in talking to Peter, tells us what loving him requires. And Jesus, in talking to Peter, tells us what loving others requires. As we draw this Likewise series to a close, a, a series in which we've been investigating the life of Jesus to learn how we can imitate that life so that we can go and do likewise as he commanded. We come to the point of looking at what Jesus had to say about love. And let's start with this. How do we show our love for Jesus? And in other words, how do we love Jesus the way that he expects us to? There are two expectations that are present in this conversation between Jesus and Peter, the first of which is that our love 
for Jesus is shown through priority. Wow, that's a lot darker than it was on my computer screen. I apologize for that. The, the word that fills in the blank, the word that is the emphasis here is the word priority. I want you to notice in John chapter 21 and verse 15, Jesus is going to ask Peter three different times, do you love me? But the first time Peter asks the question, he tacks on a little phrase on the end. There in verse 15, do you love me more than these? Now that's an interesting statement. Do you love me more than these? What's the these? What is he referring to? There are at least three different options that he could be referring to here. The first option is that Jesus is referring to the disciples in the sense that what he's saying is, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? Do you love me more than these other men that you're bound with, these other men that you have, have, have gone through life with? Think about that group of disciples, particularly among the apostles, some of which were out fishing with Peter the night before. In that group, you would have Peter's brother, Andrew. In that group, you would have Peter's closest friends, co-workers even, and a couple of guys named James and John. So there's a sense in which Jesus could be asking Peter here, do you love me more than you love other people? And this would coincide with something Jesus said back in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. In Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus may simply be asking Peter here if Peter loved him more than Peter loved anyone else. But Jesus may also be asking the question in a little different sense. Jesus could be referring to the other disciples, but in a different way. He could be asking Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Maybe Jesus is asking this because of Peter's bold proclamations prior to his arrest. Remember, it was Peter who, upon hearing Jesus tell the disciples, you will all fall away because of me this night. And Peter's response was, Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, I will never fall away. That's pretty bold. And it was Peter who, upon hearing Jesus say, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. It was Peter who in John chapter 13, verse 37, responded, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter made some bold proclamations that implied his superior allegiance to Jesus. And yet he went on to deny his Lord three times that night. So Jesus may be asking Peter to examine the strength of his earlier pledges by essentially asking, do you really love me more than these other men love me? 
And there's a third option. The more than these could also be a reference to all of the fishing gear that was present. The boats, the nets, and everything else that was involved in the fishing industry. Because if you look there at the start of John chapter 21, this whole conversation follows a night-long fishing trip that Peter had engaged in. And so it may be that Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than you love fishing? You have to remember that prior to following Jesus, Peter, Peter was a fisherman. And Jesus called Peter out of a life of fishing for fish and into a life of fishing for men. But notice, back at the start of the chapter, look at John chapter 21, look at verse 3. Who initiates that overnight fishing trip? Who's the catalyst for going out fishing that day? It's Peter. It was Peter who said, I'm going fishing. And the seven other disciples joined him. And here's the issue. It's not like Peter hasn't seen Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus has already appeared to these guys. The resurrection has happened, and they know about it. It wasn't time to be fishing for fish anymore. It was time to focus on fishing for men, but Peter went and got in the boat. So maybe as one commentator wrote, Jesus is calling Peter to make a choice. Does he love his career or is he willing to be Christ's disciple with a thoroughgoing call to ministry? You know, Peter once declared in Mark chapter 10 and verse 28 if, that we have left everything and followed you. But in this moment, he returned to what he left. And that may have caused Jesus to question the extent of Peter's love for him. See, there are three different possibilities as to what the these are when Jesus said, do you love me more than these? And I don't think it really matters which one we go with. I don't, I don't think it ultimately matters which one we decide is the most likely meaning of what Jesus intended to say. Because all three of them address the concept of priority. Jesus is asking Peter if he is Peter's first love. And I think it's pertinent for us to ask ourselves the same three questions. Do we love Jesus more than we love other people? I mean, do you, do you love Jesus more than you love your significant other? Whether you've been married for 50 years Married for one year, you're engaged, or you're dating? Do you love Jesus more than your significant other? Do you love Jesus more than your own children? That's a hard one. I've got spit up on my pants right now. That's how much I love my daughter. And, and it's, it, it's hard to think... When you, when you have a child that's so innocent, so young, so fragile, to, to, to not have them be the center of your life, 
to not ha- let them have the priority of your heart? But do you love Jesus more than you love your children? Do you love Jesus more than you love your, your family, more than you love your friends? Do you love Jesus more than you love any other person on the face of the earth? Because that's what we're called to. We're called to that kind of love, that kind of priority with our love when it comes to Jesus. Do you love Jesus more than you love your job, more than you love your career, more than you love your education, more than you love your hobbies or your extracurricular activities or or, or your income? Do you love Jesus more than you love all of those things? Because that's priority. That's putting Jesus first with your love. Do you love Jesus more than anyone else loves Jesus? Now, I realize we really can't gauge that. There's no way to prove or or to uh, uh, test who loves Jesus the most. But shouldn't we all aim for that? Shouldn't we all aim to be the person on earth that loves Jesus more than anyone else loves him? Isn't that supposed to be the objective? Doesn't he have every reason for us to love him more than everybody else loves him because of what he's done for you and I? You see, the the question that Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these, is ultimately a question that's asking, am I your first love? And it's a question that we need to challenge our own selves with. Because we're never going to go and do by his standards if we don't love him most. See, if your answer to any of those questions that I posed is no, then you don't love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because love manifests itself through priority. And Jesus is calling on us to make him our first love. Our love for Jesus is shown through priority, but our love for Jesus is also shown through activity. Activity. Something that stands out to me in this account of Jesus' conversation with Peter is that every time Peter affirmed his love for Jesus, Jesus responded by giving him something to do. Look at verse 15. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, Jesus asked Peter for the second time, do you love me? Once again, Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus asked Peter for the third and final time, do you love me? Peter responded, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus once again said, feed my sheep. Every time Peter affirmed his love for Jesus, Jesus gave him something to do. In this one conversation, Jesus presented a great biblical truth about love. He indicated that love is more than a feeling. Love is a verb. An action verb. Love is manifested through activity. 
Do you remember where our go and do theme came from? It came from the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Do you remember what triggered the telling of that parable? It was triggered by a question about love. A teacher of the law asked Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, in turn, basically turned the question back on the, uh, that individual and asked, What Mosaic law says he ought to do? Or what Mosaic law says he must do? That teacher of the law quoted the same passages from which Jesus got the greatest command, and thereby indicated that what he would have to do is love God and love people in order to inherit eternal life. But then that teacher of the law asked Jesus another question. In verse 29 of Luke chapter 10, he asked, Who is my neighbor? This prompted Jesus to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan, and then asked in, the, in verse 36, which of these three, referring to the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And that teacher of the law answered Jesus by saying, the one who showed him mercy. That was basically his way of saying that the one who loved his neighbor as himself was the one who demonstrated that love through action. And Jesus said, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 37, you go and do likewise. The big takeaway from this parable for you and I is that love is manifest through actions. What we do to and for others not only communicates our love for them, but it also communicates our love for Christ. As we discussed last week in our Sunday evening study of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Jesus repeatedly taught in passages like John chapter 14 and verse 15 that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. And going and doing likewise is one of those commandments that if we keep, we'll show him that we love him. And so if we're going to love Jesus with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, then we're going to have to show it and not just say it. Interestingly, John, the author of this text we're studying today, and the one who frequently identified himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was following Jesus and Peter while they had this conversation. We see that in John chapter 21, verse 20. John wasn't too far behind. He likely overheard this conversation. And sometimes, sometime later, it is John who would instruct Christians in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. He instructed Christians to not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Maybe hearing this conversation between Jesus and Peter contributed to John's overall understanding that we are to love the Lord, not just with our words, but also with our deeds. Because Jesus 
every time he hears Peter affirm his love, says, all right, if you love me, here's what you do. So here's a question for you. Is your love for Christ evident by what you do? Are you showing your love for Christ by going and doing? Is your love evident by what you do? Because when we look at this conversation between Jesus and Peter, it's apparent that one way we show our love for Christ is by doing by engaging in loving action. So when we look at, John, at Peter's conversation with Peter, we see that our love for Christ should be shown through priority and through activity. But this conversation also show, uh, discusses how our love for others should be shown. In other words, we have to ask the question, how do we love other people the way that Jesus loved other people? And there are two primary ways that Jesus' love for others was manifested toward Peter in this passage. And from that, we learn that our love for others should be shown through intimacy. Notice how Peter, excuse me, notice how Jesus addressed Peter. Every time... He spoke to him in this passage. You can look at verse 15, you can look at verse 16, you look at verse 17. Every time Jesus referred to him as Simon, son of John. Now that may not mean much to you. But that's not, excuse me, that's not the name that we're used to hearing when it came to this apostle. We're used to hearing Peter. Now, Simon, son of John, is his legal name. And so he's routinely referred to as Simon, who is called Peter, or simply Simon Peter. But more often than not, he is typically just called Peter. And what I find so very interesting is how and when Jesus chose to use Peter's different names. It's interesting because in every low moment of Simon's life, Jesus referred to him as Peter. Well, here's what I mean. It's Peter who got out of the boat and walked on the water until he saw the wind, became afraid, and began to sink. And it's Peter who then heard Jesus say, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's Peter who rebuked Jesus for talking about his upcoming death. And it's Peter who heard Jesus say, Get behind me, Satan. It's Peter who pulls the sword out in the Garden of Gethsemane and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant only to have Jesus rebuke him and tell him to put his sword away. It's Peter who denies Jesus three times. Peter is the nickname Jesus gave to Simon, and if you did not know this, the Greek name Peter literally means a stone or a rock. 
And so in these low moments of Peter's life, Jesus refers to him as Peter, never Simon. And it's as if Jesus does that to remind him that you're stronger or you're better than you're acting right now. It's as if he's called him to return to that rock that Jesus saw. But in the high moments of Simon's life, excuse me, in the high moments of Simon's life, Jesus never referred to him as Peter. He always referred to him as Simon, usually adding on Simon, son of John, or Simon Barjona. Let me give you an example. In John chapter 1 and verse 42, Peter's introduced to Jesus for the very first time by his brother Andrew. This is the first interaction between Jesus and this renowned apostle. And Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 42, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And John explains to us that Cephas is the equivalent of Peter. So Jesus used Simon's official name when he first met him and when he recruited him to be his disciple. And then if you turn over to Matthew chapter 16 and you look at verses 16 through 18, it's there that Peter will offer the great confession. He will say that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon hearing that, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah, son of John. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven... And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Those are the only two other times outside of John chapter 21 that Peter's full legal name, Simon son of John, is used. I bring these names up because in this moment, Jesus chose to address Simon not as Peter, the nickname he used to remind him to be stronger and better in his lowest moments. Instead, he chose to use the name Simon, son of John, that formal name he used when he wanted to communicate his pride in Peter. And in so doing, Jesus demonstrated his love for Peter through his intimate knowledge of Peter. He knew that in this moment, Peter didn't need to be called a rock. He needed to be called the name that he was first called by. Because in this moment, Jesus is ultimately reinstating Peter as a disciple. Because of what Peter did that night Jesus was arrested. Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed to hear at this moment. And that's because Jesus intimately knew Peter. Here's the point. If we're going to love people like Jesus loved people, it's going to require more than a generic at a distance kind of love. We're going to have to get to know people. We're going to have to invest 
and people. We're going to have to develop a trusting relationship with people. We're going to have to develop meaningful relationships with people. If we're going to love like Jesus loved, it's going to require intimacy. But not only that, it's going to require mercy. Our love for others should be shown through mercy. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times? And I'm sure it's not lost on you that the number of times Jesus asked, do you love me, corresponds to the number of times Peter denied his relationship with Jesus. It's as though Jesus' repetitive questioning and Peter's commensurate responses served as a sort of do-over. This conversation provided a means for Peter to be restored and recommissioned. In this moment, Jesus demonstrates his love for Peter through mercy. He's giving Peter a second chance. A chance to confirm his love for Jesus and not deny it. There's mercy in what Jesus is doing. Do you know what mercy is? The Greek term translated mercy is defined as kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. So mercy is loving concern for another that results in undeserved, benevolent activity for them. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, Jesus showed mercy by giving Peter a second chance. Peter denied his love for him three times. With, Peter denied his love for Jesus three times despite an emphatic claim in, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 35, that even if I must die, I will not deny you. And despite that arrogance and despite those failures, Jesus gave Peter another opportunity to confirm his love for him. Jesus was merciful here. And if we're going to be like Jesus, then we're going to have to manifest our love for others through mercy just like he did. But some people don't deserve mercy, right? Some people don't deserve our kindness. Some people don't deserve our forgiveness. Some people don't deserve second chances. I know you're thinking it because I think it too. I want you to notice what James says in James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. James says, So speak... And so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is saying is that we show mercy not because someone deserves it, but because we need it. Whether or not we show mercy to others will impact whether or not mercy is shown to us. That's what James is saying. And James is echoing one of his brother's teachings. He's echoing the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, Jesus said, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And James takes it a step further by presenting the relationship between judgment and mercy. He is in effect saying that a failure to show mercy will result in judgment without mercy. Therefore, our love for our neighbor has to include mercy. Just like Jesus' love for Peter here included mercy. And here's the point. If we're going to love people like Jesus loved people, then we're going to have to love mercifully. We're going to have to give some second chances. We're going to have to turn some cheeks. We're going to have to go some extra miles. We're going to have to, we're going to have to take some clothes off our backs. We're going to have to drop some stones. We're going to have to, in the words of Uncle Jesse, have mercy. Some of you will get that reference. Some of you won't. And that's okay. I'm reminded of a story I heard about a little boy. It was around Valentine's Day. And this little boy came home and told his mom he wanted to make a Valentine's Day card for every kid in his class. Now his mom was worried. Because none of the kids in his class befriended him. None of them played with him on the playground at recess. None of them walked with him home at the end of the day. None of them sat with him in the cafeteria. She was terrified that he wouldn't get any Valentine's Day cards. But she went to work with him, and together they made 35 personalized Valentine's Day cards to give to every kid in his class. Valentine's Day came, and he gathered up all of his cards, took them to school, then he came home at the end of the day, and his mom could see as he was walking up the driveway that he had nothing in his hands. He was completely empty-handed as he came home. She was afraid that it might happen, so she had prepared a special d- dessert for him to help ease the pain of not being included in the Valentine's Day giving So as soon as he came through the door, she started to tell him about the dessert she's got ready for him to help pick his spirits up. And all she could hear was him say, not a one. Not a single one. And she looked at him expecting tears to fill his eyes, but he looked up at her and he said, I didn't forget a single one. See, that's love. That's love that prioritizes. That's love that is active. That's love that is intimate and merciful. It's a love that says, this isn't about me. It's a love that is completely unselfish. And that's the love we're called to possess as we go and do. Do you have that kind of love? Here we are gathered on the Lord's Day that just happens to coincide 
with a holiday that celebrates love. So the real question today is, do you love like Jesus loves? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? And do you love your neighbor as yourself? If not, something needs to change. Because Jesus told us that's the most important thing. And Jesus didn't just tell us. He showed us. Because he went to a cross and died because he loved you. And maybe today that you can profess your love for him by confessing that he is the Son of God, by repenting of your sins, and by being buried in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of those sins. Today is a day of love. Not because it's Valentine's Day, but because it's a day that we're reminded of how much he loved us. Do you love him? If you have any need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing. lesson this morning. <clears throat> I want to thank everybody for being here with us this morning, uh, whether you're in person or online, and just invite you to uh, be back with us again this evening at 6 p.m. Um, <clears throat> for another worship uh, and Bible study. Uh, Tom did ask me to let everyone know uh, that there will be envelopes outside in the foyer uh, for you to, to put your donations in uh, to go to Camp Inigahee, uh after we uh, are dismissed here. 
Um, we're going to sing our, our closing song, will be number 523. Our God, He's Alive, we'll sing uh, first, second, and fourth verses of that song.